Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 4, as we're continuing, of course, our study of the book of 1 Samuel, we're seeing um, the nation of Israel in a time of transition. As you know, last week, I record, we had to record it early because we couldn't come on Sunday, so we did chapter 3 last week, and that was where Samuel actually had the call of Samuel, he becomes the, the prophet of Israel. And as we look at this book, we're seeing a transition, that we're seeing from the time of the judges, the last one being Samuel, to the time of the kings, the first one being King Saul. We'll see him when we get to chapter 7 and 8 in there, and we'll see how it fits together. We see the state of Israel, and God is raising up Samuel, and at this time, it's, it's really bad. There's sin, there's rejection, turned away from God, they're following their own desires. In the middle of this, God is turning the nation back using this man named Samuel. We've seen his birth, we've seen his boyhood, we're now going to see his leadership, we're going to see that God raises him up, we'll actually see his whole life, we'll see, see him as an old man. This morning, we're going to see the judgment of on the house of Eli. And we think, what, what are we talking about? Remember, Eli was the, the high priest. He had two sons. They were doing really badly. A man of God, a prophet, came at a point in time and told him there was going to be judgment. And his sons, were both of them are going to die in one day. And God was going to take the priesthood away from Eli himself. And then the same prophecy came to Samuel. We saw that last week. And he went and told Eli the same thing this morning. It's really one of the saddest passages in the Bible because we see the judgment, the judgment on Eli and the judgment on the nation of Israel. Sin brings judgment. It always does. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And we see this happening here. There's just a lot as we study this passage this morning. Well, let me start with this. Do you believe in luck? Like good luck and bad luck? You know, some people say, well, I got a lucky shirt or I got a lucky socks. When You know, when you're coaching, if you, you won the game and you had a particular, say, socks on or a particular shirt, you say, well, the next week I'm going to wear the same shirt or the same socks. That might help. Some people have a rabbit's foot or a four-leaf clover or a St. Christopher medal or something. But the truth is this, that uh, there's no such thing as luck or chance or fate. God is sovereign. He can control all things. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so there is no such thing as luck. Well, this morning, the reason I bring that up is that Israel takes the Ark of the Covenant and they treat it like a good luck charm. They think they were defeated in battle by the Philistines. They're going to go get the Ark of the Covenant and bring it out to the battle because they think if they bring the Ark out to the battle, they'll have victory because it'll bring them a good luck or that God's going to be with them automatically. They think victory comes from the Ark. Victory didn't come from the Ark. The Ark is a box, by the way, and we'll talk about it in a minute. But there's the, the victory comes through God. And so we're going to see as we look at this, we're seeing... God is bringing judgment on the nation as he's raising up Samuel. And here's what we have already known. We already know this, that God has already told Samuel that he would judge Eli and his family. And it really came in two different ways. First of all, the man of God came. I mentioned that earlier. That was back in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And he told Eli that God was going to bring judgment on his family and on his sons and everything. And then the same thing, when Samuel, last week, we saw that Samuel got the prophecy from God and told him the same thing. Now, let me just tell you this. We, we said last week was so vital because it was the first prophecy that Samuel was to give as a prophet of God. And would he be faithful? Because he had to go to the one that was like his grandfather, old man Eli, the high priest. He had to go to him and tell him that because of Eli's sin and his son's sin, 
it would be judgment on them. Would he be faithful to do that? And he was. He was faithful. In fact, if he looked at 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 19, it says, Then Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fail. That means whatever he did from that point on, it always came true. He was a prophet of God. Now, before we get into the chapter, let me remind you, just a little, just a little background. There was a woman named Hannah. She wanted a son. She prayed for a son. She said, If I get a son, I'll give him to the Lord. She got a son. His name was Samuel. She gave him to the Lord at about age five. He was actually given to old man Eli. Eli is the high priest. He's really an older man. He, they, bring, they bring the little boy up there and say, he's supposed to stay with you. And you could, we talked about it several weeks ago that Eli probably went, what am I going to do with this little boy? Eli had two sons that were grown. They were priests. They were terrible. They were doing really bad things. And uh, we'll see this, and God is going to take this little boy, and we've watched him grow up, and he's now a prophet of God. He's also a judge, and he's also a priest, so he's a really unusual young man. We're going to see his whole life, and, and we put it this way, God is using Samuel. Now, let me remind you that Eli had two wicked sons. That's the high priest. His two sons were priests. They were taking the sacrifice. Here's what they were doing wrong. They were taking the sacrifices even before they were offered to God. Now, let me remind you what that means. If you lived back in that time and you, and you wanted to bring a sacrifice to God, you would bring it up to the tabernacle. There's the priest. You would give him the sacrifice. They would kill it. They'd put it on the altar. They would burn it or whatever they're going to do with it. And some of it went to the priest and some of it came back to you or some of it was burned up all the way. These sons were actually, as they brought the sacrifice, they took it. And they'd say, no, wait, wait, you got to offer it on the altar. And the priest said, no, we take it for ourselves. They were actually taking the sacrifices that were supposed to be offered to God and keeping them for themselves. That was really, really bad. The second thing that they were doing is they were having sexual relationship with some of the women who were at the tabernacle. So they were doing really bad. Eli knew about it. He wouldn't do anything about it. And God said, I'm going to judge you and these boys. And here was the sign. The sign is that both of Eli's sons would die in the same day. They would all die at the same time. Now, so here we are. We're fixing to see the Philistines and the Jews, the Israelites, as they battle. And this morning we see the judgment. Now, before we get to our little quick outline of the chapter, let's talk about the Philistines. You've heard them all. You've heard Goliath, you know, David and Goliath. Goliath was a Philistine. Goliath was nine feet, nine inches tall, by the way. Uh, that's what it shows us in the scripture. He was really big. Who were these Philistine people? Well, they were called the Sea People. And let me show you. I'm going to put a map up. Don't look at all the errors or anything because this is the map I found that's a good map. Uh, here is, of course, the Dead Sea. Here's the Mediterranean Sea. Here's Jerusalem. Well, these cities, these people came from, from the island of Crete. They also came possibly from Greece. They came and they settled and they got lands, uh, cities called Gaza, Gath, Ashdod, Ekron. They had these cities. And they and they were they ended up being called the Phil, the Philistines, and so they became enemies of Israel. If you remember, Israel lived here. The Philistines lived here, and they battled all the time for this land. We're going to see a battle this morning. It takes place way up there. So the Philistines were called the Sea People, and they were pretty advanced, uh, advanced just as much as the Israelites when they met with them. So it's, it, we're going to see them, and they'll be there the whole time of the life of Saul. 
David, the next king, is going to come defeat the Philistines. And when it comes to Solomon, when he becomes king, there's peace because they've defeated them all. So we're going to see that. Now this morning, two battles. Let me give you the outline for the chapter. The first battle is the verses 1 through two, one and 2, and, and that's the first battle, and, and the Israelites lose. They come back to the camp. They talk about it. There's a second battle. We see what happens there. Then they come back to report to Eli what happens, and then we see the birth. Now we, when I hear to see the name Ichabod, I kind of laugh because I think of Ichabod Crane and the legend of Sleepy Hollow and all that stuff. But Ichabod, we're going to see what that name means because he's named that for a reason. That's the birth of the sun right at the very end. So let's begin, and let's go to chapter 4, and we'll go fairly quickly through it. Of course, it's narrative, and we'll see how it goes, but let's see what happens. This is about judgment. So chapter 4, verse 1, thus the word of Samuel came to all Israel. We have to stop there because it's saying that Samuel was the prophet of God. It came to all Israel. All the people know about it. He is the prophet of the nation. So Samuel was a prophet for the nation of Israel. And so when people would, uh, if Samuel said, thus says the Lord, they said, that's going to come true because whatever he says is right. And so it says the word of the Lord came, the word of Samuel came to Israel. Now, the reason I think it starts the chapter off that way is because Samuel has said, judgment's coming to Eli and his sons. This chapter, we're going to see the judgment to Eli and his sons. And so it's really kind of a, a sad time. So let's see what happens. It says, the word of, the, of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to meet the Philistines in battle and camped beside Ebenezer while the Philistines camped at Aphek. And let me just show you that this is, this is Ebenezer's a little bitty town. Aphek's a little bit bigger town. There's Gilgal. Gilgal's kind of one of the famous towns. And, and th this is the northern part of Israel. I'll show it to you in a minute. Here's another map that gives you a kind of a better idea of where they were. Here's Aphek up here. Here's Ebenezer. Shiloh is where they have the tabernacle. So that's where the Ark of the Covenant is. Down here is Jebus. That's the same as Jerusalem. There's Kareth, Jerim. That's kind of a famous place. Gibeon and Gibeah, Mizpah, Bethel, House of God. These are all Jewish towns. These are all Philistine areas, Ashdod, Ekron, Gath. And now they've come to fight right there in the northern part of Israel. And so it says that the Jews came to Ebenezer while the Philistines camped at Aphek. And so that's where we are. It was to fight. And, and so look what happened. The Philistines drew, this is verse 2, the Philistines drew up in the battle array to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. Israel lost the battle and they lost 4,000 men. Now, that's a lot. Now, when you read the Bible, a lot of times we see that Israel wins. And we go, yeah, Israel usually wins. Well, I want you to understand something. As you look about the history of the nation of Israel, whenever they are obeying God, they win. Whenever they are disobeying God, they lose. It happens all the time. Right now, they're disobeying God. They've turned away from God. God is raising up Samuel, trying to turn the nation back. They're not following God, so when they fight the Philistines, they lose. Think about this. When they were obeying God, they came to Jericho. When the nation of Israel came into the promised land, they came to Jericho. They marched around the city seven days, six days, once around. Then on the seventh day, they did seven times. They shouted, and the walls fell down, and they defeated Jericho because they were obeying God. Then somebody stole some stuff, and they were disobeying God, so they went to fight this little town called Ai, spelled Ai, and they were going to fight this little bitty town, and they lost because they had sin in the camp. The truth is this. Whenever they're obeying God, they win. Whenever they're disobeying God, they lose. And we find out that 
when we think about our own lives, when we're living in the power of the Holy Spirit, when we're obeying God, when we're doing what's right, we're going to have victory in the Christian life. Whenever we're disobeying God, when we got sin in our life, we're not going to have victory in the Christian life. And so it's the same aspect. So look what happens. Think about it. If you're Jewish people, you go fight the Philistines, you get, you get a whole bunch of people killed. And you come running back to the camp, 4,000 people are dead. And so look what happens, verse 3. When the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? The elders, that's the older men, that's the leaders. They said, Why did we lose? You, you know why they lost? They lost because they're not in fellowship with God. They lost because they're not obeying God. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They should have known that. What they should have done is said, Lord, where is their sin in the camp? What are we doing? What are, we need to straighten out. We need to do what's right. We need to live for you. And then they would have victory. But that's not what they do. In fact, look what they decide to do. When the people came into the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let's do this. Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the ark of the covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. They said, let's, go, let's do this. Let's go get the ark of the covenant. Let's go get the ark of the covenant in Shiloh. Let's, let's go get it. Now, think about what is the ark of the covenant? The ark of the covenant is a box. It's a box with a golden top on it. It's a box that's made out of wood, covered over with gold, with a golden lid. It's where God would meet with his people. They've said, let's go do this. Now, they may be thinking about like the Battle of Jericho. If you remember in the Battle of Jericho, they took the Ark of the Covenant and the priests carried it and they marched around the city and then when they shouted, the walls fell down. Maybe they're saying, okay, if we just have the Ark of the Covenant, I want you to understand the Ark of the Covenant is... Wait a minute, that's where we're going yeah, are they going to go get, I'm going to just bring this up. They've got to go to Shiloh to get the Ark of the Covenant. They've been at Ebenezer. That's about 20-something miles. So they've got to go get it. And, and the Ark is, you know, the Ark of the Covenant is a box. That's what it is. It, it just rep, it represents God. And let me remind you, it's a box. It's actually, if you ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark, that's about what it looks like. I got a picture of it here in just a minute of what some people think it looks like. And so it has a box covered over with gold, has some poles in it so they could carry it. It has a top which is made out of solid gold. And made out of solid gold is these two angels, two cherubim, and they're facing this and looking down this way. And that's where God would meet with them. And so they've gone to get the, the ark. And this is a pretty good drawing of it. I think it'd be better if uh, if they were looking down a little bit more. But that's the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant is to stay in the holy place. I did not put this up. I should have brought this for you. But if you remember, the tabernacle had a front room called the holy place. Then there was a curtain in the back room called the Holy of Holies. The Ark of the Covenant stayed in the back room. Nobody was to go in the back room. The only person that could go in the back room was the high priest, that would be Eli, and he could only go once a year on the Day of Atonement. So nobody ever went back there. They're suggesting, they're saying, let's go get it and bring it here. That means they're actually going to have to go into the Holy of Holies? Listen, I, I wouldn't go in there. You know, people have died for a lot lesser than that. And so they're saying, let's go get the ark and let's bring it here. Now, let me tell you what was in the ark, okay? 
there were three things in the ark. There was a broken piece of the, of the Ten Commandments. You remember when Moses came down from the mountain and they broke the law and he threw it down and broke it? They picked up one of those pieces and they put it in the Ark of the Covenant. There was, and, and, and then the second thing was there was a jar that had manna in it. And the third thing was Aaron's rod that budded. All three show God's provision and man's rebellion. God gave the Ten Commandments, that's his provision, the rebellion is they broke them. God gave manna, that's his provision, the rebellion is they don't want manna. God gave Aaron as the leader, they didn't want Aaron and Moses to be the leader, that was their rebellion. So inside the ark was those three things. And, and so for them to go get it, they would have to violate the scripture, Eli's sons would go into the Holy of Holies. Now if you're Eli and your sons come, and they all come up and say, we need to get the ark out to the battlefield. Eli would say, no, 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 no. Nobody can go back there. I'm the only one that can go back there, and I can only go back there one day a year. Do not go back there. And I guarantee you, his sons looked at him and said, we're going to do what we want to do. And they went in there and got the ark. Let's see what happens. It says, when the elders came in, why has the Lord defeated us this day? And in verse 3, it says, let's take for ourselves, go from Shiloh, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, that it may come among us and deliver us from our enemies. They think that the ark is going to give them the victory. They think a box is going to give them the victory. They think because they have the presence of the Lord. Now, by the way, when God would meet with the nation of Israel, he would meet between those two cherubims. He would come. And at nighttime, it was a pillar of fire. In the daytime, it was a cloud. It was called the Shekinah glory. And sometimes he would appear. And it actually says that he would speak to Moses face to face somehow, whatever that is. And so they've gone to get it. And uh, Eli, you could see Eli's trying to stop them. But they said, no, we're not going to do that. So look what happened. So the people sent to Shiloh, and from there they carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord who sits above the cherubim, that's where it, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Phinehas were there with the ark of the covenant of God. Wow. This is a, this is a really dangerous, let me just say it this way. If, if you're in a nation of Israel and you're there, this is a dangerous thing to do. You remember, later on, King David, they're, they're transferring the Ark of the Covenant and they're not carrying it the right way. They put it on a cart instead of the priest carrying it and the cart moves and a guy by the name of Uzzah, touch, he didn't want the Ark to fall off so he touches it and it kills him just like that. I, 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 I'll be honest with you, I don't know how Hophni and Phinehas got it and took it to the battlefield without getting killed. But they didn't. They went and got it. They went and got it. And look at verse 5. And the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp. All Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth resounded. They, they, I mean, boy, what? Talk about a cheer. When they get a great cheer, we got God with us. No, they don't. They have a box with them. God's not in the box. God is sovereign ruler. He's not in the box. Proverbs 21.31 says, The horse is prepared for the battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. He brings the victory. Not the box. And so they're cheering and everything. Well, look what happened. And we'll have to go quickly, but look what happened here. When the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, what does the noise of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the ark of the Lord had come into the camp. They heard all this cheering and everything, and they thought, what in the world is going on? Then they understood that the Jewish people had brought the ark out. Now, they knew what, they knew what the ark was. It, they knew the ark had something to do with Israel's God. Let me say it this way. Israel's gods. They don't think Israel has just one God. 
they think gods. Now, let's talk for real quickly about the Philistines. We called them the sea people. They worshiped a god called Dagon. It is supposedly said that Dagon in the God hit all their gods. That you remember the God named Baal, Beelzebub, when they said that Jesus, they said he cast out demons like Beelzebub, Baal. Well, Baal was a god, and the the rumors were that Dagon was the son of Baal. He was a half man, half fish. Here's what he looked like. This is some the things they found. Look at this. Do you want to worship that? It's a fish-looking thing with feet and arms. This is what the face looked like. Here's another drawing of what this thing looked like. Now tell me, you think that's God? If you reject the true God, you will believe anything. Sometimes we look at things and we say, how could anybody believe that? Because they've rejected the truth. And when you reject the truth, you'll believe anything. This was the God of the Philistines. Now, don't forget what he looks like because we're going to see him in chapters 5 and 6. Of, of this God named Dagon. Anyway, so there he is, half man, half fish. Look what happens. The Philistines were afraid. This is verse 7. And they said, God is coming to the camp. They said, woe is us. Nothing like this has ever happened before. Woe is us. And now watch what they say. Woe to us. Who shall deliver us from the hand of the, these mighty, and notice, these mighty gods. These are the gods who smote the Egyptians with all kind of plagues in the wilderness. They had heard, even though years before, Jewish people had come out of Egypt. They knew the legends and the rumors and the stories of how God had destroyed the Egyptians. And so instead of saying the God of Israel, they're saying the gods of Israel. And they're saying, oh no, what are we going to do? How can we make it? But look at the next verse. Take courage and be men. This is what they say to each other. O Philistines, or you will become slaves to the Hebrews, and they will be, have been slaves to you. Therefore, be men and fight. So for some reason, they're ready to go. They're ready to fight. Now, let me just give you this information. From the time of Samson, Samson was the last judge in the book of Judges, all the way from that time up to this time, the Philistines have the upper hand. They defeat the Israelites a lot of times. That's because Philistine, the, the Jewish people were out of fellowship with God. And so here they go, get ready for battle number two. This is the second battle. You remember the first battle? Jewish people lost 4,000 people. Here's the second battle. And so verse 10, so the Philistines fought and Israel was defeated and every man fled to his tent and the slaughter was very great for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers and the ark of God was taken and the two sons of Eli, Hophni, Hophni and Phinehas died. They fought the second battle, they lost 30,000 men. But the ark really helped them, didn't it? Didn't help them at all, did it? Because the ark is not a good luck charm. The ark is just a box. The ark is a representative. God sometimes would appear above the box. God is not the box. And they thought, we got a box, and we're in good shape. We're not in good shape. They lost 30,000 people. And if you notice that the ark was taken and the sons were killed. Now, those two sons, that's Hophni and Phinehas. Do you remember the prophecy? The prophecy was back in 1 Samuel chapter 2 that both sons would die on the same day and both sons died on the same day. Listen, when the Bible says something, it's always right. It's always true. We see two things here. One, we see that the Word of God is always true. That's what happens. And we see that sin has consequences. This is God's judgment 
on Eli and the nation. This is God's judgment. It's sad. It's sad. And, and when you think about it, God's word is always true. That's what John 3.16 is true. If, you, through, true. if you believe in Jesus Christ, what does he give you? Eternal life. It's true. John 3.36 is true. If you believe, you have eternal life. If you don't believe, the wrath of God abides on you. That means you'll be separated from God. John 10.28 is true. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. The Bible is true. And whenever you read it, it is always true. Now watch what happens. The battle is over. They lose all these people. The ark is stolen. Uh, Can you imagine? Just imagine this now. You're the Philistines, and you start winning, and Jewish people are running off. You've killed a whole bunch of them, and you come up to the Ark of the Covenant, and the two priests are there standing there, and you kill them, and then you say, let's get the box. Let's get the God of Israel or the God. And they pick it up, and no telling what they may have put it on a cart, they may, and they take it back with them. And let me tell you what they're going to do with it. They're going to take it back to the temple of Dagon, where that statue is, and they're going to put the box in front of the statue, and they're saying this, our God, Dagon, is stronger than their God because our God gave us the victory in the battle. That's what they're going to do. Now, we're going to see what God does to Dagon before it's all over. That's in chapters 5 and 6, and we'll see that. Well, look what happens uh, in verse 12. Now, a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day, and his clothes were torn, and there was dust on his head. Now, when you have dust on your head, that means two things. You've been in some kind of battle, or it's a sign of sorrow. You remember he tore his clothes. We talked about that, and people tore their clothes. That was great emotion. This guy has seen many people die. He has seen the ark stolen. He's seen people killed. So he comes to Eli. He's coming back to the town. He's tore his clothes. He's got dust all over his head. He is trembling. And so notice verse 13. I want you to watch carefully about Eli. When he came, behold, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road, eagerly watching. Now watch the next verse, next part of the verse. Because his heart was trembling for the ark of God. So the man came to tell it in the city, and all the city cried out. Now notice, it said he was trembling. Why? For the ark of God. Notice it didn't say he was trembling because of his sons. He was trembling because he knew that they had violated the scripture, that they had taken the ark with them, and the ark was valuable. It was the most important part of the tabernacle. It was where God would meet with his people. It says he's trembling because of the ark of God. Then when Eli heard the voice of the outcry, he said, what does this noise of this commotion mean? Then the man hurriedly came and told Eli. Now look at this. Eli was 98 years old. And his eyes were set so he couldn't see. He's now blind. He just can't see. The man came to Eli and said, I'm the one who came from the battle line. Indeed, I escaped from the battle line. And he said, how did things go, my son? So Eli says to him, how did it go? What happened? What happened? And verse 17 has a lot in it. Notice. Then the one who brought the news replied, Israel has fled before the Philistines. There has been a great slaughter among the people. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been taken. Now, I want you to notice in that verse four things. Israel lost the battle. They fled. There's been a great slaughter. 30,000 men died. Your two sons, the two other priests, are killed. And the ark of the covenant has been taken. It's stolen away. It's gone. It's gone. Now, 
This is judgment on both Samuel. I mean, this is the judgment both Samuel and the man of the man of God told about. It's a great slaughter. The two priests to kill. The ark is taken. And and what do you think? What, what? Think about this. What happened to Eli when he was told about the ark? Look what it says. When he mentioned the ark of God, verse eighteen, Eli fell off the seat backward beside the gate, and his neck was broken. And he died, for he was old and heavy. Thus he judged Israel 40 years. When he heard the message about the ark, he like sort of fainted. I think he just fell over backwards. And when he fell over backwards, he hit and broke his neck. And he died. That's sort of a picture somebody drew of what they thought it might be like with Eli falling over backwards and dying. Wow. In one day, they lost the battle. They lost 30,000 men. They lost the high priest. They lost two sons who were also priests. And they lost the ark. What else could go wrong? Well, we're not through. Look at the next verse. Now the daughter, now his daughter-in-law, Phinehas' wife, who was pregnant, about, was about to give birth. And when she heard the news that the ark of God was taken, that her father-in-law and her husband had died, she knelt down and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. This is the wife of Phinehas. And when she found out that the ark had been taken, that her husband was dead, her father-in-law was dead, who was the high priest, she went into labor. And she's about to have a baby. And look at verse 20. And about the time of her death, do you realize that she's going to die giving birth to a son? Another person dies in this whole thing. And notice what it says. About the time of her death, the women who stood by said to her, don't be afraid. You have given birth to a son. But she didn't answer or pay attention. And watch what happens. And she called the boy Ichabod saying, the glory has departed from Israel because the ark of God was taken and because of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, the glory has departed from Israel for the ark of God was taken. The name Ichabod means no glory. No glory. Or the glory has departed or the glory is gone. And so she basically names her son no glory because the ark had been taken and the glory was gone. God's glory is connected to the ark. And when she said the glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. It's gone. Now, you want to stop and think about what happened that day? They lost the ark. They lost the high priest. They lost two sons, which were both priests. They lost 30,000 men. They lost the battle. And they lost the glory of God. God has poured out his judgment on Eli, his sons, and the nation. We want to glorify God. What does it say? What does the Bible say? What do you not know? Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is in you. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, what? Glorify God in your bodies. The ark was the glory of God. We, or since God lives in us, we're to be glorifying God in all that we do. What a sad story. Israel battles the Philistines. They lose. They go get the ark for good luck. They lose again. 30,000 people are killed. The sons are killed. The ark is taken. And Eli dies. And the glory has departed from Israel. Let me tell you, it is a sad, sad time. Now, chapters 5 and 6 shows you God's sense of humor. Because what happens 
to the Philistines when they get the ark. They go, hey, we got it. We got the gods of the Israelites. Our God is better. Our God's up here. He looks like a fish and a man, but our God's better. We got a fish and a man. They got a box. That's what they think. We're going to see what God does. And next week, don't miss it, because actually, we put two chapters together. It's chapters 5 and 6, and you think that's too long. It's not. We'll go real fast, and you'll see some incredible things. Let me give you some applications. The first one is that the Word of God is true. It is. It always is true. God keeps His Word. Thy Word is truth, John 17, 17. That means John three sixteen is true, that if you believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. John three thirty six is true. That is, if you believe in him, you have eternal life, but if you reject him, the wrath of God abides upon you. It means you'll be separated forever. We can base our lives on the unchanging, inerrant word of God. The word of God said there was going to be judgment on Eli and on his sons and on the nation. It came true. The key to the Christian life is living our lives based on the word of God. So let's don't take that for granted. The word of God is the key. The second thing is let's understand that God deals with sin. He brings judgment on Eli and the nation. He, he told Eli, because you didn't deal with your sons, there's going to be judgment on you and the nation and your sons. Hebrews 12, 6 says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every child he receives. So let's learn from this and let's deal with sin. Let's confess it and forsake it. Whenever we sin, we do First John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Anytime we notice that we sin, deal with it. Confess it and forsake it. So confession is just telling on yourself. That's what it is. Second thing is victory in our Christian life depends on being in fellowship, empowered by God. The Jewish people thought because they had a box, they're going to win the battle. No, no, because they weren't in fellowship with God. And for us to have victory in the Christian life, we have to be in fellowship with God. And last but not least, just understand that religion is powerless. It is. God is not a lucky charm. The box is not a lucky charm. A cross around your neck is not a lucky charm. Uh, people put something on their car or this or this and say, oh, God, protect me. Let's... God is not a lucky charm. You have a relationship and fellowship with him. And that's the key, and it's through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. May we understand the power and the love of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ.